Next on Community Matters, what would Ford Motor Company potentially be thinking as they contemplate a brand new plant from the ground up? The position the organizations are taking is let's minimize the number of employees, put technology in its place, and then we can hire individuals and pay them more. The first Bearcat Advantage students are about to head off to college. We chat with a former Kalamazoo Public Schools insider who watched the promise unfold. Every time a first family member ever to go to college completes it, there is a sense of pride that changes that family forever. Community Matters, brought to you by Lakeview Ford Lincoln for Saturday, August 12, 2023. I'm Richard Pyatt. Good morning. Thanks for being with us on Community Matters. You hear us Saturdays on 95.3 WBCK after the 8 o'clock news. And we live on as podcasts after that at battlecreekpodcast.com. So if you miss a show or you want to hear one again or share it on your channels, that's where you'd find the link to it at battlecreekpodcast.com. It's brought to you by Lakeview Ford Lincoln. I'm Richard Pyatt. You know, we've been trying to talk from a number of different angles about the Blue Oval battery plant that appears to be well on its way to the Marshall megasite. And I got to thinking about that, thinking about what goes into building a plant. Having been an an automotive kid, living in automotive families as a kid, uh, had a little bit of experience with uh, how some of those shifts worked and that sort of thing. And it sure seems like this is a tremendous opportunity that happens when a plant is being built from the ground up. So we've asked Mike Craig to join us today. Mike has a professional experience, more than 35 years in the manufacturing environment, not the least of which was in tier one high volume automotive. And so we've asked Mike to join us today to lend us some perspective from his years of experience. Mike is uh, these days principal and founder at the West Michigan-based GKW Business Solutions. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Richard. Good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Boy, is it true uh, when an automotive company is thinking about building a plant, this is not an everyday opportunity. That is to say, plants that were built 40 years ago get repurposed and reused and remodeled. And I presume that building a new plant is an opportunity that doesn't come every day, but I could be wrong about that. Well, I think you're right, Richard. What's interesting is being in automotive for 16 years I spent a lot of time in the um, old engine plants uh, for, for the big three. And you're exactly right. They would go in and they would update the lines. They'd repurpose the building, but they were building on top of, uh, of a building that it was difficult to really make some strong technical changes and innovate new equipment in. What you get with a new facility is you get the opportunity to design it from the ground up and to take advantage of state-of-the-art technology, which is what the automotive, uh, the the big OEs today are doing. And they are using what's called Industry 4.0, which is a common term uh, out there in manufacturing, to address the need to move product down the line, but not necessarily using people to do it. Now, I think you and I talked that this uh, new facility will employ 2,500 employees. Yes. And so with 2,500 employees, you look at a plant this size, there has to be a significant investment 
by the OE to put technology in place to automate with robots and a variety of different other tools that allow them to move product across with minimal support from a labor standpoint. So it is not like the good old days when the facilities were labor intensive and it required a lot of people to support the the production. It's not the same today. Yeah. And we're talking about a big plant. This is uh, two and a half million square feet, by the way. Uh, So a very large plant. And what you're saying is uh, 30, 40 years ago, a plant that size would have a lot more than 2,500 employees. Yeah, it could be easily 10 to 12,000 employees. Oh, my. Yeah. So talk about industry manufacturing and and the 4.0 example now. Is there a balance that a manufacturer would aim for between automation and employees? I think there probably is. And I think each organization probably has a different standard. But what's driving industry 4.0 more than anything else is the fact that it is difficult to hire and retain employees since the epidemic or the pandemic, I should say. And as a result, technology has stepped up and the position the organizations are taking is let's minimize the number of employees and let's put technology in its place. And then we can hire individuals and pay them more because the technical need for the position is higher than a line worker would have been 15 to 20 years ago. Hmm. And so there is a balance, but I think each organization is probably a little bit different. So the the twenty five hundred jobs that we keep hearing about in Marshall potentially have a greater significance. You know, from a community standpoint, anytime you can attract a large OE from an automotive standpoint, or really any industry, that's a real positive for the community because it does create employment. Very important uh, because what we what we need to remember is it isn't just twenty five hundred people that come in and go to work. There's going to be additional vendors that will come into the community to support the larger facility because a facility that size is going to need a significant amount of support. And there will be businesses that supply direct material, different services. And then the community itself will grow because not all of those 2,500 people will be residents. So there'll be a lot of people coming in from the outside. And so the community is going to grow dramatically based on the needs of the facility and the people that are in the facility running it. Well, that certainly echoes some of what we've been hearing from the locals on that. That's uh, that's for sure. What are a couple of examples, Mike, of uh, when you have the opportunity to build from the ground up? Are there some particular innovations? I know we talked about just Industry 4.0 in general, but are there some particular innovations that are impressive that go into building a facility like this that never used to? Robotics is significantly a part of the overall design of the manufacturing facilities that are going up today. You would have had some robotics 15, 20 years ago, but if you look at the plant, the size you just described, 2,500 people is not much. And what they're doing is managing the automation as opposed to moving product down the line. So robotics uh, is going to be a key part of moving product through that facility. How do you maintain that? I mean, in the day, back in the day, we dealt with with the human factor, right? Uh, somebody might be out sick on a given day and there were processes in place to uh, accommodate for that. But when you're using robotics, for example, how do you uh, uh, try to prevent downtime? Well, a plant like this, 
preventative maintenance becomes really important. And it would be a key part of identifying what equipment goes in, what the uh, predictive maintenance schedule looks like. And these organizations, they do this from beginning to end, left to right. And they understand what the predictive maintenance looks like. Because when a robot goes down, the line goes down. If an operator is sick, you can put someone in to take his place. And so the, the issue is much more dramatic as it relates to throughput through the process. And so those robots have to run. But on the other hand, robots don't get tired. They don't call in sick. They run. And they are very dependable with some preventative maintenance. And I say preventative, predictive. And that is pretty common in the industry to know when to take the line down, what needs to be done to maintain an uptime of 95% or so. You know, you think about it, the robots, you know, typically on a line, if that line's going to run, and it can run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. With a large workforce, you're not going to get that kind of support. You might get five days, you might get six days if you need it. But in a facility like this, it really could be a lights out facility. And that is a common term that's used in the industry to say that plant can run with minimal support. And presumably there's redundancy there. So when, for example, that maintenance has to take place on on some of the robotics, other ones fill in or there's a predicted downtime that's fairly short. How does that work? Well, with predicted maintenance, you you pick uh, there's software options that are available and you schedule to go in and do the predictive maintenance when you believe the particular piece of equipment, the robot, whatever the issue is, needs to be addressed. And you address it well in advance of what the vendor's recommendation is. You don't wait for it to break. You go in and you you predictably, and there's a number of tools that can be used to understand when to go in, but they'll do these on holidays. Um, they'll do them on, on weekends. They do a lot of this during the uh, the model change, which is in uh, between Christmas and New Year's and then in August. They'll go in and do uh, large predictive maintenance uh, activities. And then between the changeover times, uh, the model changes, there's, there's events that are identified and scheduled, but they do them when they can take the line down. And it typically is a time when the whole facility is down and they go in and do a number of predictive uh, maintenance adjustments. Well, you uh, you rang some bells from my childhood when my dad used to say, oh, it's changeover, we're off right now. <laughs> and uh, that was it. One model ends production, a new one begins. There's changes that have to take place in the factory to accommodate for that. You know, Mike, just for those of us who are are not familiar with how factories and manufacturing work. Talk about just for a moment in, even in traditional times of when a car was being built in a factory, about how long would it take? The raw materials come in, the line starts, the car comes out on the other end. That's I'm sure the basis of a lot of study, how long that takes, right? Well, it's going to vary. And when we're talking about batteries, not automobiles, right? Right. But what, what's interesting about manufacturing today is the OEs focus on carrying very little inventory. What that means is the inventory comes in the door based on a just-in-time delivery, and often they'll send a milk truck, they call it a milk truck, and they'll make multiple pickups during the course of the day, and they'll, and they'll pick up enough material from the vendors 
to support running that line. Not any more, not any less. It's the vendor's responsibility to carry the inventory to support production. And that's why I believe in Marshall, you're going to see a number of vendors putting distribution locations close to the facility to support those milk runs. And it's the vendor's responsibility to have that material ready. It gets delivered. It doesn't get put in, into stock. Uh, it's received and it goes to the line. And so the OEs understand that the more inventory they carry, the more cash they have invested in inventory. And that isn't where you want to put your cash. And so just-in-time is, is, a, is a consistent part of manufacturing. The supply chain, as a result of the pandemic, has recovered. Uh, and the plants are getting back to where they're taking less inventory and they're counting on the supplier to make sure that the inventory is available. Right. And you don't want a supplier who is 50 or 100 miles away and it's going to take longer for them to get the materials to you. That's correct. And you think about what's going to be necessary from a community standpoint to support those additional vendors. And it's going to impact all of the local businesses, restaurants, banks. Um, I mean, everything Everything will exponentially grow. It's not just the 2,500 you employees. It's what does it take to support that facility and its production? Well, it makes a lot of sense what you said, that um, a company wouldn't want their cash tied up in inventory that they're storing. So now that burden is spread among the, the suppliers, and each one has a certain uh, amount of materials that they're supplying and that burden is spread out among them. So it makes it easier for them too, I presume. Well, it does. I mean, it it is not uncommon for tier one, two, and three uh, suppliers to a plant like, like the ones being built in, in South Michigan to have what we'll call extremely quick setups. You know, they will go in and they'll run very small lot sizes and they're running what the next delivery is going to be when the truck comes by to pick it up, they don't want to carry the inventory either. So they've developed quick change opportunities to set the machine up, run the 20 pieces that's needed for the next delivery, and then go to the next item that's required because they understand that they don't want to tie up the cash either. And so it's 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 a really interesting way that the supply chain has developed over the last 20 to 30 years. Yeah. And you would think that one little hiccup in any of that would cause a backup somewhere. But I think what you're saying, they've perfected this system. Well, it is very much the system that Toyota put in place many, many years ago. Each company has their variation of it, but it is, in essence, a variation of the Toyota production system. And that is true from the OEs. They won't call it that, but the <laughs> OEs all the way from tier one, two, and three, all the way through the supply chain. And it is proven to be very dependable and it, it operates extremely well once it's perfected. Are there other ways you think even a new facility like this one could innovate similarly to what you've described? Well, I, th I think that, that at the very top of the list, the uh, engineers that are putting the facility together they are aware of what equipment's available in the market, what the technology is. It's not only the right equipment to support movement of the product through the plant. It's also being able to, to quickly identify, is the line running at the right rate? 
um, if we're missing uh, the right why. And so they can constantly in real time monitor where the constraint would be in the process um, and they can react. So if they're running uh, first shift on a Monday, they've got monitors throughout the process that identifies are the processes running to the identified rate. And if it's not, why not? And so they react accordingly because they don't want to get to the end of the day and say we're 40 batteries short and ask the question why. It's a matter of responding immediately and determining what's going on at what station. The data collection systems today, you can look at a monitor and know exactly which station is not running at rate. And that's where the engineers go to work. What do we have to do to prove it? That's interesting. So 30 years ago, there might have been an issue. The line might have shut down while that issue was being identified and corrected. Whereas I think what you're saying now is the slightest issue being monitored technologically can provide feedback a lot sooner and maybe a corrective action that doesn't require shutting the line down. Correct. I mean, when that line goes down, that's money. Yeah. And uh, my experience is when the line goes down, somebody pays. And uh, it can be really experienced, it really expensive for a vendor if they're supplying a part that gets to the line and it won't install correctly, or there's a stack-up issue. And so the line could go down and they start charging for downtime because the vehicle, the vehicles, or in this case, the batteries aren't being built. And so there's a lot of incentive by the vendors. And there's not only incentive, but there are a lot of tools that have been developed by the OEs to ensure that the part is correct. There's failure mode analysis. Um, there's APQP processes uh, to make sure that when a part's launched, it's correct. There's PPAP, which is the the uh, the process of providing samples and getting approval. And so there is some extensive tools that, it, that are used by the OEs to ensure that when the vendor supplies a part, it will fit and fit correctly. Um, and that continues. But now they have the ability to understand where the issue is uh, and react accordingly. And they've taken, you know, the the issue of, of labor. The guy calls in sick. He had to go to the bathroom. It's breaker lunches. It takes all of that out of the equation because it's automated. And the 2,500 people that are in the plant, they're running the equipment. They're not loading and unloading equipment or loading and unloading the line. They're mm-hmm. more of an engineering support mechanism. I think they call that working smarter, not harder. (laughs) I think that probably fits the bill. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. We were talking with someone a few weeks ago who said, you know, factories used to be dank, dirty, and dangerous, and they're not that way anymore. True story? Absolutely true. Being a uh, powertrain supplier, had the opportunity to go into a lot of engine plants that have been around for a long time. and. Dank, dirty, and unsafe probably describes it pretty well. Wow. So uh, we've made progress then. That's the point. Absolutely. Yeah. So there are folks listening to this who are itching for more information about what kind of jobs might be in a facility like this. And Ford hasn't yet talked about that. But maybe you have an impression of what kind of skills would be important to work there. Well, I think the 2,500 employees, there's going to be a strong engineering requirement would be my guess. 
they'll all be technical. They're not going to be line operators like the old assembly line. That's not what what, what we're going to have here. So it's going to be technical and probably some manufacturing engineers and, and industrial engineers who are working at the line to support uh, improving the process. I'm guessing, you know, Ford will release uh, right. some job requirements here, here shortly, and that'll get a little bit more specific. But I think I think they're going to be technical in nature. I presume, too, this has just popped in my head as we talked about what you just described and as well the the whole process. The quality question isn't as big of a question now, right? The human factor is backed out a little bit. So if somebody doesn't fit a part exactly right, that was a human variance, whereas uh, mechanical doesn't have that kind of of the latitude, does it? It's going to it's going to repeat the same thing exactly the same. Yeah, I think what typically happens in the OEs is they measure quality in in parts per million, and that's the the the, the metric that I worked with my entire time in automotive, and I would doubt that it's changed. What they're looking for is is single digit parts per million, and what that means if I make a million parts and my PPM is two, that means two out of a million were uh, an issue. Um, with adding technology, robotics, some of the other dramatic improvements as it relates to material handling uh, and running through a line, your point is correct. It's consistent and very few mistakes get made because you're removing that human error issue. And so they're designing that line with parts per million in mind. How do we get zero parts per million? Uh, is really what they're looking at. And with with an automated process, that's possible. With a with human intervention, it's not. Even with automated, two per million, is that a, considered a good number? That would be a really good number, yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been enlightening, Mike. I really appreciate this uh, perspective. It was uh, what I was looking for, uh, a perspective on on manufacturing that wasn't necessarily involved in this particular plant, but had a lot of insight and uh, you've managed to do that. So we appreciate that a whole lot. Uh, My pleasure, Richard. Thank you. Mike Craig with GKW Business Solutions based in West Michigan on Community Matters. The committee's ultimate goal is to schedule the referendum. I can't imagine what the set of facts is that would would stop this at this point. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they are successful. Instead of workers in China building the batteries, we've got Marshall, Michigan employees building them. We want to be good neighbors. Your go-to on the Marshall Megasite, Community Matters, from Lakeview Ford Lincoln, 8 a.m. Saturdays on WBCK. Catch up now at BattleCreekPodcast.com.